0: welcome to another episode of the golders podcast if you haven't already click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other friday we hope everybody also enjoyed our last episode with owen coyle senior before we introduce today's guest we want to mention our partnership with clothing company capo the meaning behind the brand runs much deeper the northwest of england clothing brands strive to provide premium aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices check out their products at www.capouk.com and on instagram at capo uk now for today's guest here is a snippet of what to expect
1: how do you behave because i think that really defines you how you behave every day and if you if you were filming a documentary on your life and you had a film crew following you around, getting in the car with you in the morning, follow you to work, watch you in the office, would you behave any differently? And I don't think I would.
0: So that's why I say I've got a real honesty in, in sort of how I behave and what I do and what I'm about. We're excited to welcome back Harry Watlin onto the Golders Podcast. When he last appeared on the podcast almost two years ago, Harry was the head coach at Hartford Athletic in the USL Championship. Since then, he's worked at QPR as a first-team coach and he's now at Rangers Football Club, working as their first-team coach. In his career to date, along with working in first-team football, Harry has worked at several prestigious academies, including Chelsea, West Ham and Millwall, playing a part in the
2: development of some of the country's brightest stars. Harry Watlin, welcome again to the Goldust podcast
1: Thank you, welcome back, yeah, thank you, thank you for inviting me on again
2: Yeah, well, first time was very well received, hopefully the second time will be equally as uh, as popular as the first one, I'm sure it will be
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, I think obviously it's not been long has it, but quite a
2: lot's happened Let's crack on Look, despite being relatively young in in the coaching world, Harry, uh, you've established an impressive track record to date. From your early days as an academy coach at Chelsea, Millwall and West Ham to become an head coach of a USL Championship team over in the US. Now, first team coach at Glasgow Rangers. So you're, you're rapidly establishing a strong reputation in the footballing world. What factors do you believe have attributed toward your success to date?
1: I would would first of all put it down to the network of people that I've been fortunate enough to be around and work with, work alongside. For all of those clubs that you just named, people that really ground you at the beginning, Um, you do your apprenticeship, you listen, um, you learn, I would say the people that I've met along the journey that I haven't worked with, but just learnt from uh, when you go on your coaching courses. I would say it's very difficult talking about yourself, but the things that I try and bring to the table is a real honesty in my approach to everything, a work ethic, not cutting corners, and I suppose just giving really clear, clean information, feedback, when asked, when asked and, and receiving it as well. I think, um, probably the best, the best way to, to ask the questions to the listeners would be, how do you behave? Cause I think that really defines you, how you behave every day. And if you, if you were filming a, a documentary on your life, and you had a film crew following you around, getting the car with you in the morning, follow you to work, watch you in the office, would you behave any differently? And I don't think I would, so that's why I say I've got a real honesty in in sort of how I behave and what I do and what I'm about.
0: Which, when you look back on your previous roles, what skills or experiences do you think were most valuable in helping you grow as a professional?
1: Great question. I, I think if we go if we go straight to the to the management side of it um, and the understanding what leadership looks like um and it comes in different forms i think i've had to i've had to at times lead by example and at times i've had to probably lead by listening and and allowing the allowing the room to have a voice giving the floor to people in the room that you've you've gone and employed, who have got a clear skill set and probably got a clear skill set in a in an area that you're quite gray and that's why you've given them the the role of working with you. So I think that's leadership as well. Then going into coming coming to be an assistant at QPR and then at Rangers, because I've been a manager, I know what the manager needs. I know how he feels. And I think that's important. I think I've almost done it back to front, but I'm glad I have done it like that because I've got a real affinity of what the manager is feeling and thinking. So there's lots of different things that that probably that I've probably tried to acquire and learn over the years, both in academy football and first-team football. Putting your finger on certain things is is difficult. But again, it goes back to, again, I think what you do on a day-to-day basis, you can always fall back on that foundation. Um, But yeah, I would say some of those things I've just mentioned there.
2: I'm curious to find out, you mentioned QPR. You you were at Hartford Athletic over in the US for a period of time from Hartford to QPR, and then shortly after that, you know, you're over at Glasgow Rangers. So what was that period like? What was the transition like? How do you deal with that? By, because you move so quickly, you, you know, it's been a whirlwind since the last time we had you with on, which is just over 12 months ago, to where you are now.
1: Yeah, huge, huge change, huge change. Um. I suppose the consistent thing has been focus on the players. What do the players need? That's been the real consistency within all of the changes gone on because the changes, culture, league, uh, certain standards, expectations, all of those things. Um, and again, on a personal note, you're going from being the main voice to supporting the main voice and making sure that, that, that the manager gets what he needs from you as an assistant. Um, and the, the changes and the adapt- adaptations you have to make are quite interesting. When you really dig deep into that, I think there's certain things as an assistant um, that you're actually able to do more than what you are when you're a manager. You become the glue. You become the glue. Um, you're you're able to go and have those soft meetings and you're also able to, you know, without dressing up, you're able to nail people and fall out with people a little bit more because you know that you are, gluing it back together on a regular basis. Um, the transition from Hartford to QPR was, was actually relatively smooth because I was coming home. So I was coming home and I was actually coming onto to a league that I know really well, I know the championship really well. Um, but the transition going to QPR to Rangers was, was, was completely different. Rangers as a football club is a magnificent institution the expectation is the highest it could possibly be. Couldn't be any higher. You must win. You must take the ball in every game. You must take the ball off of the opposition in every game. You must win in style. You must pass forwards. You must run forwards. But what I would say, chaps, is it is everything that I'm about as a football coach and a person. It's front foot. um, It's brave. It's everything that you, that you, when you write down on a piece of paper and, you say, you know, what am I about as a, as a coach, as a football person? Glasgow Rangers, I think, uh, encapsulates that,
0: that, list of, that list of things. The game changes, so it evolves over time and you see it at all levels, generally speaking. It starts at the top and that is where you're working. You're working at the top and you're working at one of the biggest clubs in the world. What do you do to stay on top of emerging trends and strategies and ensure that your decisions remain sharp and relevant and really give yourselves the edge?
1: Well, there's probably two parts to that, David. I think the first part is is absolute clarity on what you are and what your team is and what you're trying to do in every game. So there's a real focus on the ways you get out the ways you play in, the ways you try and score goals, the ways you try and get the ball back. I think that has to come first. Um, in terms of my clarity of thought, I'll take notes during every game. Um, I've got really good open communication with a manager on the bench. We speak a lot about what we're doing in the midst of every game. But then I'll reflect on that after the games as well, especially uh, as an example, we've just played Servet in a Champions League qualifier. So we've had to play them twice. Then you start throwing yourself some what-if scenarios prior to the next game. I did this a lot when I was a manager. What if we go down to 10 men? What if they go down to 10 men? What if they score an early goal? What if we score an early goal? What if it's a little bit of a, a, a dead rubber? What are we going to change? How do we stop this? How do we create that? So there's that part of it as well. And then there's there's the, the organic part of me just being a complete football geek, which is... I probably watch outside of our stuff. I probably watch between 12 and 15 games of football a week from all different leagues. And you start to create a list of the leagues that you like to watch, the coaches that you follow in those leagues and the coaches will change. The players that you like to watch, the styles you like to watch. And you start to almost follow two or three teams per country and follow their fixtures and if you don't catch it live, then you watch it the next day. Um, and you start to look at how they play domestically versus do they translate their domestic style into Europe? And you 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 look at everything you can. When you're looking at the top, top level, and you're looking at Wadiola and Arteta and people like that, you're looking at those trends and the why behind they do things, why, why they do certain things in the games. All of that is going on at once. I suppose to try and keep on to try to keep on top of it is probably not the right way. I would frame it. I think you you just organically do it because you're a football person and you're in the game, and and you want to you want to learn. So that hunger and that willingness to continuously learn and gather information is probably the thing that drives it.
2: So when you're watching, just linked to your previous answer, H, when you're watching games particularly remotely, what are, you, what are you specifically looking out for? Because you'll only get a very, very narrow window of what you see on the television. We don't get a full perspective because we're not in the arena. What are you looking for? Are they attack, Were and how do they defend? What type of things are you specifically gearing up for, does it link to your beliefs around how things are played or should be played, your philosophy, your personal philosophy? So share it with us.
1: Yeah, I think first of all, I always look at the individual duels that are going on on the pitch. Um, then the small-sided games, that then links into the tactical battle that's going on. I've got quite a weird respect for the polar opposite of what I appreciate in football. So, I quite like the games where it is complete chalk and cheese. I quite like watching those games um at the same time you know you 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 enjoy watching the games where you've got your your cream playing against your cream um and then you are looking for those trends and do they work and how people are counteracting those trends. I think I watched the best game of football I've ever seen last season I went to uh I went to man City Real Madrid at the Etihad second leg and it could have been man city versus a team in the conference north they were that good they were that dominant in every moment of the game and real madrid had players on the pitch like luka modric who is an, an, an elite football player um so i'm looking at all different things fellas but ultimately there is there's there's that there's the unknown of football that constantly draws you back to the game, which the and the unknown is who's going to win and how and why. And that constantly tunes you in every night of the week, regardless of the fixture, because you you the game is is it's the beautiful game because it's full of surprises.
2: When you're watching and observing a game, you mentioned City. We were, I was fortunate to go and watch a game a couple of years ago. A friend of mine was assistant manager of a club, and uh, it's like a metronome the tempo and the energy of which, plus the excellence that, that's been observed. And it's very evident what what is taking place. City were very dominant, but actually watching specifically for certain types of movement, time, the, the timing of movements. It's fascinating. Now, linking to observing and observing games, observing a player, observing a unit of of the team, how would you define best practice, best coaching? What does that look like? I think it's
1: helping to create understanding. I probably adopted the word clarity over the last four or five years and I use it a lot because it's it's the most important thing for me in the game is when the players arrive in the tunnel before the game that they have a real clear understanding which links to confidence of how they're going to win the game. So I think it's, it's first of all, is creating that clarity in what they're bringing to the table as a player, person, as a player, what they're then bringing to the team, why they've been picked in the team, why their teammates would pick them in the team, how they're going to win the game. All of those things, I think, are bubbling up in the background of, of that. And a good coach can really help provide that and I I go back to it, I say it a lot, but you remember that you I think you remember the way people make you feel rather than you know, what they've said, how they make you feel. So again, going back to that probably 10, 15 seconds when you are lining up in the tunnel next to the opposition. How'd you feel? How'd you feel about your own game? How'd you feel about the team's game? How do you feel about action in the game plan? Um,
0: for me, they're they're really big things, Keith which as a as a seasoned coach a young seasoned coach you've obviously worked across all ages so from from the young ones in the academy all the way through now to obviously first team football and seen that development throughout what in your opinion makes the difference that makes differences in terms of players development
1: yeah it's 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 definitely. I think you definitely got to have a a person first approach, regardless of the age of the player. What I would say is, when you're talking about development, if you just split it into two categories and you go development of an academy player, I think it's understanding what's needed and when, in terms of what you're feeding them. Um, I actually think it's. I actually think it's easier at first team level, because it's. Understanding what got them into the building because they're they're a pro for a reason. They've got a clear super strength. They have a clear weapon. So it's understanding what got them into the building. It's really trying to enhance that. And then you also go, what's missing? What's the missing part? When you look at a first-team player, you can see what's missing quite early, fellas. Obviously, when you're growing a player from, from a young age, you very, very, very rarely have the luxury of having that 10-year cycle of being able to feed at the right time. That's why you have to trust the philosophy of the the academy that they're in, that the coach is going to give them the right bits of information at the right age to prepare them for the next phase. So helping them understand their, their identity at 13, 14, 15, what type of player they're going to be, how they're going to be able to influence the game of football, is super important um and they've got to be able to have that because you shouldn't i don't think you should give someone a scholar or a pro if they don't know what they are, but they won't know what they are unless you help them find that out um and they're they're the conversations that 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 should go on all the time you so your your previous question was you know what is coaching and that links into this as well coaching is so many different things. I used to think it was just about being the best on the grass. Um, When you have to share time, when there's quite a few assistants, you learn that you can be brilliant by the coffee machine as they walk in in the morning. You can be brilliant at lunchtime. Just as they're grabbing a drink in between sets, you can be brilliant there. So I think being mindful of what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and when to listen... Are really really huge
2: components to all of the other things I've just mentioned. So when you're working to improve players, you've obviously observed something that's required to actually help enhance their performance. But what what lets you know that what's taking place is actually accurate or not?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it. it I think that's I think that's a little bit down to experience. I think it comes from seeing what seeing what uh, player A looked like at under nine and then under 12, and then seeing them debut in the Premier League and then seeing them play in a World Cup and in the Champions League. And then if you're lucky enough to have worked with three or four of that, top, you know, that, that uh, players who have, have also gone through that, I think you have a good gauge, Keith. I think you can say, OK, that's what that's what we did with them at that particular age. So it's not copy and paste, but when you've got three or four examples, you have a good, you have a good measure on it, and again, I think that goes back to feeling. I think you can feel it. I think you have to be patient. Um, it doesn't have to look like a, a, a YouTube classic. It can be messy. That's fine. It's understanding that. But when you're creating, when you're creating players from from a young age, again, you're not talking to an under ten. How you're talking to an under fifteen? Don't rush. There's no rush. Just make sure that the under 10 is ready for the next phase of there. And that's, and that's being a competent under 11. If I was to really break it down simplistically, I would want, if I was the under 14s coach, I would want them to get to me just being technically elite. Don't worry about tactics. That's fine. Just technically elite. And then when they get to 16s and youth team level, then you can start dripping the other bits in. They, they would have gone through a period of growth so some of them will be physically robust some of them are still are still still growing the mental side is really important your, your players that find the game easy at certain ages need to have some roadblocks put in the way so that they learn how to cope and learn how to get around problems Um, because I think too many of our top players at 13, 14, 15 never make it and that's on us by the way that's on us. That's on us rewarding and making, you know, making it too smooth. I think what you see a lot of is your your A grade players, your B grade players and your C grade players. A lot of the B's and C's end up having a career because they have to struggle and they have to work it out and they have to stress. Um, so all of those things go
0: into it. So you've touched there on, so you're working with younger players in, in that last answer and how you're interacting with them and the things that they need, etc. You're now working with first team players and we've touched on it. You're 33. So you're now working with elite players. Some of whom are older than you. Um, some that have had very, very, very good careers. How do you manage the relationships that you have with seasoned pros, with players that are older than you, as now... A coach.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, it it goes back to your first question that you asked me, which you know was what I f- what am I about? Basically, I, I I think that that honest approach goes a hell of a long way with people, and it is it's it's people. You have to remove. I think you have to remove a lot of the fluff. Um, so if you're talking about player A, what does he? What does he want in the session? What's going to excite him in the session? So remove the profile of the player or how many followers they got on social media, how famous they are, what they've won, what they've got in their trophy cabinet. What does he want in the session? What does he need in the session? He might not need you to stop and bore him with lots of detail because he's been there, he's done it, he understands it. What does he need in terms of reps? What does he need in terms of intensity, in terms of quality, in terms of feeling, make him feel confident going into a game if it's a centre-half? Does he need a certain certain amount of heading clearances? Does he need a certain amount of services into midfield? So I think you remove, remove the fluff and you and you boil it down to that. But it's it, it's the person first. You get on a level with a person. My captain at Hartford, um, when I was manager out there, was was the same age as me. So it was the dynamic could have been really, really difficult. It was the polar opposite to that. He was he was magnificent for me. It was magnificent. Um, so I try not to get I try not to get caught up with things like that, fellas, because I what I would say is your qualities will shine through if you're not letting that stuff get in the way, that noise.
2: You're a learning machine. You just constantly, every time I know what you speak, the word clarity you use quite a lot, but there is clarity about what you are, what you stand for. And just prior to this podcast, you've just flown back from Europe. And there's clarity around when you're going to land. When am I going to get here? Am I going to be late? I just think that's it's a great, great attribute to have. But what has actually helped shape your core values and principles in the game itself?
1: Great question. I, I would look at, I would look at principles being the being the first thing. What do you? What do you respect in the game? That's that's a big thing. What do you respect in the game? What do you what do you what pleases your eyes, um, and what shaped those those things? I think everybody has biases. Um, I think the manager here has been a massive influence on what I respect in the game. Like I said to you earlier, there's also things that we don't talk about every day which are the brilliance of just being good at the basics, which I suppose that that falls into things that you should prioritise, things that you would put into, I don't know if you're talking about a philosophy folder, what's, what's my philosophy of the game, what are my principles of the game? Um, people first, then your principles, then you can talk about systems. Your system, Keith, can change, can't it? It can change, play back three, back four, whatever you want principles of things that I suppose that you really nail down with a group and you go, okay, this is what we're going to be about guys. This is what we, this is what we do every day. This is what we live every day. And then rewinding from that statement, what shapes it? I think your experiences, experiences, not experience. Cause you can be, you know, a lot is made of, a lot is made when you're a young coach, a lot is made of your age. Um, but my experiences are quite vast. I think you can be twenty-five years in the same place doing the same things wrong. Or you can be five, six, seven years in different places doing things right. So experiences have, have also shaped how I see the game, what I respect, what I like, what I try to what I try to speak about on a daily basis.
0: What you've just referred to there is actually reminds me of one of my favorite quotes you don't learn from experience you learn from reflecting on experience so you could have 50 years of experience or doing something but without the ability to reflect on it now to link that together you've got a lot of experiences now and and quite evidently are very good at reflecting on them and learning from them. Can you highlight any specific challenges that you've encountered as a first team coach and then to obviously reflect and how you've then overcome those challenges?
1: Yeah. One that springs to mind right away was, um, was recently at QPR. We had, we had something, we had something really bubbling there. We had the group moving in the right direction. And probably the the one moment, and again, I go back to feeling, rather than what anybody said, I walked in the changing room when we was away to Millwall. Um, and it was quite an emotional night. The Queen had unfortunately just passed away. And we were told the day before that there would be a moment's silence and then the national anthem, um, so we knew that the stadium would be quite emotional and it would be up. And you know, fellas, going to a place like the Den at Millwall, listen, I'm, I'm a Millwall fan. I'm from five minutes down the road from the stadium, so I get it. But there was no fear in our changing room. Our changing room was young. And I remember I'd just come in from setting the warm up up and the music was on, but we had some great characters in the room. And I just remember thinking, we need to keep this. What we have right now, we need to try and keep this going. We went on a really good run. And After 15 games, we were top of the championship with a young group of players who were extremely exciting. Extremely exciting. Ilias Chair, Chris Willock, Ethan Laird, Tim Robbenen, big Leon Balogun. Kenneth Powell, Senny Diang, just a group of lads. Sam Field. I don't want to leave I don't want to leave anybody, anybody out, but it's a group of lads. We'd go anywhere. We, we went to Sheffield United away, we won. We went to Mill away, we won. But it was just something that it was just there. After 15 games, we got to the top of the league. And that hunger just slightly disappeared. And it was a real it was a it was a point there where I was thinking, come on, we've got to get this back. We've got to get this back. And I see it, I see it at Hartford. See it at Hartford. We were second from top after 12 games. And then we had a couple of injuries. And then we lost three on the spin. And the challenge in football, any coach and manager will tell you is how do you how do you recover after a loss, after two losses? How do you walk back in on a Monday? Going, hey, come on, fellas, let's not start one-nil down the next game. Let's go again. And it was actually uh, I remember we performed, we we, we got a draw away at carra Road against Norwich, who were expected to go up, and, it, and we just turned it. We just turned it there. But I just remember thinking at the time, how can we, how can we bottle that up? That changing room at Millwall away, changing room at Bramall Lane away, changing room at Loftus Road when we beat Hull 3-0. How can we? almost find the recipe to keep igniting that. Um that's a I think that's the secret of football. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to to ask that question. Um but that would be one straight away boys that I would I would share.
2: So so in your opinion, Ari, when you've had there's ups and downs in the game they're coming regardless. Bring your opinion what specific qualities do the best coaches and managers possess? Timing, timing,
1: boys, timing. For me, timing. The best, the best coaches, whether they're the manager, whether they're the assistant manager, whether they're the first-in coach. There's, listen, there's great coaches that are not coaches, by the way. We've got two or three in the building at the training ground who say the right thing at the right time, but that's what they do. They say the right thing at the right time exactly when it's needed. They know when to not say too much but the, the timing is spot on. And that comes from, I think, sensing it, feeling it. Sometimes they'll say it before it's happened. And then they come at you and go, told you, I warned you. Sometimes they'll say it while it's going on. Sometimes they say it after the event to help the group. But timing for me, um, timing is is a clear one. When you're talking about, Obviously, you just said you know previous struggles and things like that. We took the job here nine points behind. So we walked into the job nine points behind. So chasing, that was a new that was a new struggle, chasing a chasing the lead. and what the manager is brilliant at is exactly what I've just said. It's saying the right thing at the right time. and that's why we've got a quiet confidence here at the moment because we finished seven points behind. So from when we took over, we were two points ahead of Celtic at the end of the season. And that that's where we, our confidence has come from at the moment. But with the manager, he says the right thing at the right time. And that goes for some of his staff as well. Some of the guys that you fellas have met, Neil and Damo. They'll they say the right thing at the right time
0: to the right people. You've talked about the club there. What sets Glasgow Rangers apart from other clubs you've worked for in terms of the coaching methods and the culture at the club? Yes, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a huge
1: club. The The history of the club, the minute you arrive, um, everything about it, David, I said to you earlier on in the conversation, it's just the, it's the demand of this is what's expected of you. As a Glasgow Rangers first-in coach, as a Glasgow Rangers football player, as a manager you're expected to come here and you're expected to be the best of the best, best in class, drive forwards, play forwards, play with a certain style. Um, When I talk about history, you come to the stadium, you look who's on the wall. They're all your heroes when you were growing up. Um, Paul Gascoigne, Ali McCoist, they're there. It just hits you the minute you come in. And obviously those guys have won. So the expectation is this club, is a huge club, and you're expected to win. So you have to come in, and you have to be best in class in everything you do every day. And I just think we we really try and drive standards in the best possible way. And then, and that's because we work
0: we work for a club that demands that. Well, I can just share an experience. Obviously, we were we were with you at Christmas, and from the moment we came through the gate to the moment we left, and I again I've been to the facility previously but I've never really spent time around it and you just get a sense right from the start of the expectations across the facility, you've obviously got the staff in there and there was a you talk about the size of the club there was a a staff member in there that was just talking about how he'd he'd work there for free because he lives it and he loves it and he loves the club and it wasn't just him, there were several several people that said the same thing, I love this club I love it. I live for it. I just live for, for, for Glasgow Rangers. And you get a sense of how big it is when you spend time around the environment and the standards that were set, look on the field, you know what you're going to get, obviously knowing you guys and, and being around that, but it was everybody else too. It was the, it was the chefs. It was the cleaners. Everybody was just tip top in everything they did. And I think when you spend time around it, you get an idea, wow, this is a, a serious institution and people live for it
1: yeah for sure listen I don't want to talk for anyone else boys but I run up here I run up here this is a top football club as a boy you know as a young boy when you watch the old firm and your dad says to you we're the blue team and you fall in love with that fixture and then obviously you fast forward to when you're 33 and you're asked to come up here and be one of the one of the coaching staff on the management team I run up here it's um it's a massive privilege just being associated with a Football club and trying to help them win you know win win every trophy that we're in for. So I can't speak highly enough of every single person that works here and you you know you've 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 coined it much better than I can, but everybody is all in, completely invested and one hundred percent behind that, you know us trying to trying to win every competition that we're in.
2: Whenever around an elite environment, standards, I standards, they they've got to be set, you know, from from those who are in charge. But equally, as soon as you go through the gate, every single every single individual is working towards developing a first team player. From the from the security to the chef to the cleaners, to the people who are doing the kit. Everybody's gearing up to build that first team player which is very evident now the thing that links to that is obviously it can be world-class or world-leading what's your preference and why well
1: it's a really it's an interesting one obviously boys I listen to your podcast and I know that this is something that you that you that you've spoken about before I would say if you're world-class you're one off. You're one off. You're one of a, a one of a group. If you're world leading, you are a one off. It's you. You're there. Um, and someone that's world leading, they are they are a one off. They are ahead of the curve. They are leading the way, and everybody else is following.
0: So, how do you strike a balance between being supportive and being demanding? of the players that you work with?
1: Knowing, I think you have to know the individual. I think you have to know when when to speak and you have to know when it's time to, to listen. Once you learn those small things, you then know whether it's the, the carrot or the stick. There's a time and a place for doing it in front of everybody, but that's rare. I think doing it on a personal note, if you've really got to go for somebody, I think you go back to that. I suppose this this is my advice to every every player. I always say to a player, try to have a photo of you on your phone of when you was a young boy with a football and just do yourself justice. Do yourself justice to that young boy that started playing football, that is in your position right now and everything you've had to go through to get to this point, and I always go back to that because that's that's the reality that's the reality um the balance between the two will depend on the the temperature of the room it will depend on the circumstance and it is massively down to feeling boys there ain't a book in the world that can tell you you should go for him now or he really needs a coffee and he needs he needs an arm around him and he needs a confidence boost and and he needs to sit in with him and do his clips and just go through the best twenty-five goals he scored in his career. So he walks out ten feet tall. There's a there's a balance, but it's it's a feeling that you have to gauge, and that again just comes from your relationship with that person and knowing the timing of when to say what you're going to say.
2: Is that something that can be developed? Do you think, Gary?
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's also it's also difficult to it to gauge the result of that particular outcome um because you could you could have the conversation you could absolutely nail the conversation and land land your land your point and that player has got ultimate clarity but the the result of the conversation maybe they don't go and score in the cup final or maybe they don't they don't play well in the cup final um so there's that it, it will i think it will boil down to the process of First of all, having really good self-awareness, then having awareness of others, and merging the two to have really good awareness of what the environment is. I think that's probably the process that I think we've gone through to get to where we are now. You never know if you have got it right, Keith. You never know if you got it right. Again, your feeling, your gut, your senses, lead you to those conclusions and to make those decisions. Um again, I don't think you can read it in a book or go on a course. It it comes from being around people trying to understand how they tick, how they move, how they shake, what gets them going, what riles them up, timing. Um, you see it, you see it in the dynamics of a changing room all the time. I would I was probably two years ago, I was probably trying to talk to my centre forward while he's got his earphones in getting in the zone before the game. Now I leave him. I let him go through his process and just before, just before he goes out, he gets a little pat on the back. Be big in the tunnel today. Go and win us the game. And that might be more powerful than going on a Two, three minute ramp where you're swearing and you're being passionate and you're being Churchillian. It's just understanding when, where, how, and
0: why for me. What's one question you wish players asked more frequently?
1: The question, the question they ask all the time is, how do you think I played? Um, and that and that's that's a good one because straight away you're right, okay. And my front foot, my back foot. I would I would always I would always want players to ask why just plain and simple just why 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 do you want this why am I doing this why do we need this because again fellas I go back to and I don't want to sound like a broken record that I'm repeating myself but I really believe it so that's why I say it a lot the tunnel if we have ultimate clarity in the tunnel before we enter the pitch that means you've done your job and that means they've done their job they they They're inquisitive enough to ask you, what do you expect from me? Why are we doing this? So to tidy up any doubt, David, to tidy up any doubt, any questions that tidy up any doubt in terms of the game approach or the expectations, that's what I would want from all of the players. But again, that comes back to us creating an environment and a safe enough space that they feel that they can just ask you and they're not going to feel stupid by asking you. They're not going to feel like you're going to tell them off and say, well, I've, I've just told you that on the pitch and then in a the presentation and then in front of everybody, they can they can just go, hey, sorry, just a triple check. Where do you want me from that set piece? No problem. Come and have a look. So it's creating uh, the relationship and the environment amongst one another where you can just ask a question and, and that question would be why.
2: Having the ability to get players to trust in such a short period of time is it's a skill it's a skill in itself where you're actually you get a connection of couple of people two bodies that are working in tandem and for one to allow someone else into their world doesn't come overnight they're they're either feeling something that's not quite right or the feeling this is the appropriate moment so it's in the moment stuff, and lots of it. Although that you've got a lot of experiences in and around the club, you're still going to know when to when to use these these traits. It's a trait. It's a, they're not they're not simple and straightforward. Where you go, well, you know, it's in the tunnel, and there'll be lots that will be doing similar Ari, but they probably don't have that passion or that extra sensory acuity, that depth of understanding of It is the right moment, and the moment's nigh for you and for them. Uh, And I'm sure some of it will go over the top at times, but it comes alive when they're on the pitch. So, Luke, last question, final question. If you had to write a priority list for anyone wanting to work at the elite level of the game, what would be on your list? Number one for me
1: is personality. Number one, by far and away, number one. Personality comes before your your knowledge and learning about the game. Personality, and that doesn't mean you have to be a cardboard cut out of anybody else. Just be yourself and be your authentic self. So that would be. That would be my first one. I then think you've got to be extremely selfless and put people first. And you have to put people first in in the right way, not because you have to, because you want to. And the small things go a long way, fellas. Listening to people, knowing their partner's name, knowing if they've got any kids. Are they boys? Are they girls? How old are they? Are they going to school? So a people first approach because you need to know what again, what they what they need. Then you're learning your craft. That would be third for me. Learning your craft and getting your hours in. And again, I'll speak on podcasts about working at Chelsea and coaching certain players. I probably don't speak enough about working in primary schools for 10 years with Year 1s, year 2s, year 3s, year 4s, year 5s, year 6s, secondary schools, going into tough schools in tough tough council estates where you've got to have all of the above, especially personality. But learning your craft is, if I can deliver to thirty four year olds then I can definitely deliver to 15 pros because my language has got to be top draw with the four-year-olds. My words at work have got to be top draw with the four-year-olds. The way I use my voice, the way I change my pitch, the way I pause just to keep you going, it's got to be top draw. So learning your craft, doing your apprenticeship, doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sessions would be the next thing. Knowing when to speak after that, knowing when to speak. I think there are a lot of times where people are guilty of, Speaking for the sake of it, because they are probably uncomfortable with their own silence. Knowing when to speak and knowing what to say are huge. And then probably the last one I would say is ask as well as tell, especially with football players. What do you think? How did you feel about that moment? What was you thinking during that? How can I help you with that? And look, the list could go on and you could move a few things around, but just off the top of my head, those are the things that would be really important that I would say my advice to any coach is this. They're not magnets on a tactics board. They're not magnets, boys. They are hearts and minds. And as soon as you get that
0: and you coin that, you've got a chance. You've mentioned clarity. I mean, the words come out a lot in the podcast and then you've just knocked it out of the park with your last answer and give us a list of obviously what you think. But I think the last answer in itself just epitomized the clarity that you have in terms of what it is you believe and what's important to you. And there was no bull around it. It was just bang. There's my list and I'm, and I, I believe it. And it was just ultimate clarity. So H again, uh, great to see you. We appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Obviously things have changed in your professional life since then. The last time you were, uh, you were sat in Connecticut and, uh, and today you're you sat in sunny Glasgow. So things have obviously evolved for you and, I know my dad and I have no doubt that that'll continue to happen and your journey will continue to evolve and you'll continue to to keep moving up. And obviously, you know, we'll be following and all the things that we've been doing anyway. But thank you again. And we'll look forward to, to seeing you soon. Thanks a lot, boys. Thanks for tuning in to The Goldust Podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com